welcome to another episode of my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, podcasting from the heart of the Netherlands, the beautiful city of Amersfoort, where the sun is shining, but the heat is gone. And I'm very grateful for that, because working in a heat wave is not my cup of tea. This episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons over at patreon.com slash fatherroderick. You will find a small but very loyal community of listeners, of viewers of the YouTube videos and, um, and followers of what I do. And with their small monthly contributions, they help me do this. So if you have a little bit of money to spare if you want to support me in what I do just take a look at at uh, Father Roderick on patreon.com and um, in return I will give you an extra podcast every single week do you know what's going on this is what's happening in your world they said Catholics rule we got Boston South America the good part of Ireland and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique baby you've taken your first step into a larger world I mean the last busy weeks before I go on vacation. Uh, we've got, I think, two full weeks to go. And uh, I just today I heard that I probably need to produce a few more extra television episodes. So uh, that is going to require a bit of work. I've outsourced uh, most of the editing because I really don't have time to do that. And uh, for instance, yesterday I've seen the results, the pr- preliminary results of the um, edit of the f- of the the two-parter that I filmed in France, um, what is it, uh, about a month and a half ago, when I went to this uh, this uh, uh, beautiful countryside uh, uh, in the, um, what is it, southeast of France, and I spent a couple of days with uh, uh, a colleague, a priest from the Netherlands who now lives there as a hermit, like a, like a modern-day Obi-Wan Kenobi. And uh, seeing the footage in its final edit really um, is wonderful uh, because I've, th- this was the first time that I actually really saw the, um, the material from my new Canon M50 on a bigger screen. And I'm stunned. I'm really stunned. I mean, it sounds a bit um, self-serving because I filmed it, but the the images are so sharp and so beautiful. The colors are spectacular. Um, And even though I used very simple lenses, very simple setup, almost never uh, a tripod, everything looks uh, amazing and very filmic. So um, I, I, I think that the stuff that I filmed this weekend... On Sunday, I went to uh, Bergen op Zoom, um, a town where they have this yearly procession t- uh, dedicated to the Virgin Mary. Dates back to the Second World War, where they were afraid to get bombed by the Nazis. And so uh, the priest, local priest, made a promise to the Virgin Mary that if she would protect the city, then in return, the city would organize a procession every year. And that's what they've been doing for the past 75 years. And I've, I've, I was there for the preparations. And I also filmed uh, the procession itself. And you have to imagine this. This is this may not be something you're familiar with if you don't live in um, in Europe, but these big processions in the street, they're, they're uh, religious biblical processions. There are a sight to behold. Um, you have to imagine a, a parade with. Um, uh, w- hundreds and hundreds of people in costumes. Um, every group portrays uh, a, a story of the Bible and goes from the Old Testament, that, like there was a wonderful, almost a dance between the devil and, uh, and Eve. Uh, very, very well done. Um, and then it, it, it follows Moses uh, it, when he's liberating the people. Then it goes, um, or even before that, you see Abraham and Moses and, and some prophets. And then you go to the New Testament and you see uh, there was a, um, a, 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 a car or a, I'm not sure. I think it's not really a ship. But anyway, I, I forgot the, the English term for it. But you see this uh, float, a float with um, the announcement uh, to the Virgin Mary that she would become the mother of God. And so the float is enormous, and and the angel literally descends from the top of the float to a little courtyard where children are playing harps and and the Virgin Mary is listening to the words of the angel. It's unbelievable. I've never seen something like that before. 
and then you see another float had the birth of Christ. So it's the um, uh, like a little Christmas a nativity scene with real people, real children, um, and then uh, lots of other stories. Um, it was so visually spectacular, and I was running around there, being from 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 TV. I had uh, I was allowed to 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 be among the the floats and among the the groups with my camera and everything i filmed looked amazing so <laughs> i'm so looking forward to seeing the episode that i'm going to make based on that and it's just a joy to be able to just film and i don't have to worry about the edits i really found my vocation i'm i'm really a filmer i'm i'm a cameraman that's what i love to do i can also interview while filming i also like doing that but most of all i just like to compose beautiful imagery and the, this camera is unbelievable so cheap relatively cheap and so spectacular what you can do with the the two lenses that i had so anyway that's what's been keeping me busy uh will also will continue to keep me busy for the next two weeks and then i'm going to walk for four days 40 kilometers a day and then i'm going to ireland and um i'm not yet tired i'm not yet um in need of vacation, but I'm looking forward to it. I really like to spend uh, a, a, a bit, like a week and a half, I think, 10 days um, in Ireland again and just going for long walks and drinking whiskey and, <laughs> and, and, and basically telling each other stories and having fun and play, playing Risk and all that. Anyway, let's go to the movies because I have an, a, a review of a movie or a documentary, actually, but it was... Uh, released as a movie in my local theater uh, that blew me away this morning. Um, it, it just premiered, I think, today or yesterday. And so I got to see... I, I couldn't catch uh, a viewing of Toy Story 4. I'll keep that for next week because all the screenings were in the afternoon. And, well, that's when I'm podcasting. <laughs> I do not like movies. They're predictable, like... The guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. So, I saw the documentary Apollo 11. Not knowing exactly what to expect, I just went into the theater like a completely... Um, uh, blank. Uh, the, one of the guys who works at the theater, I, he may even be the, the 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 owner or the supervisor of my local theater. He um, he saw me. He recognized me probably from you know previous screenings or perhaps the connection with Star Wars or something like that. And he said, "You know what? I just watched this documentary and it is amazing. I really want to hear your opinion." when the movie's over. So he was actually standing there outside when I came out of the theater. Um, and, and he told me, you know what, what, what makes this documentary so amazing is it is not a classic documentary. This is unlike any other documentary that you've seen. There's normally documentaries have voiceovers. They, they talk about something that happened in the past. They have interviews with people. Not this one. This is filmed, this is edited, as if it's happening now. And you've, after you've seen this documentary, you feel like you've been there. You were part of that incredible journey to the moon and back. And, well, he didn't exaggerate. That was exactly how I felt when the documentary was over. What makes this so special and why I wanted to see it is that it is using a lot of never-before-seen footage. Now, we all are familiar with the classic images and the, and the story of Apollo 11. And we've seen just recently the, uh, the, the, the movie, the kind of romanticized movie based on that same journey to the moon. But most of the time, this either uses very mediocre footage filmed with low-resolution cameras or even the, the stuff that we get from the moon, the, the famous first step on the moon. It's a very grainy image um, that was transmitted um, directly to to American TV viewers and to to the world, um, and unfortunately, we don't even have those original images anymore because um, the original tapes were lost, I think. And so, what we have is a very low resolution copy of those images, and that is why it looks so 
well, terrible. You can't hardly see what's going on. Well, what, what it turns out that there is a lot of footage that was never used in any documentary before, including from cameras that the astronauts brought with them to the moon. Like there is another camera that points from a window to the, the actual landing, and you see Neil Armstrong going down the, the, the stairs of the, of the moon lander, and I'd never seen those images ever before. And they are in color, um, they're very, they're much more detailed than 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 the classic images that we knew, um, and and it's it's a, a totally, literally, completely new perspective on that moon landing and the first uh, steps on the moon. The other uh, uh, big contribution to this documentary is a treasure trove of footage that was shot initially. Um, with professional cameras like high resolution and also cinemascope type of camera. So the the entire documentary is in a very peculiar format. It's not 16 by 9 like most of the movies nowadays, not even 2.35 times 1 like like Ben-Hur, for instance, the the classic Ben-Hur movie. Um, This is in a screen ratio of 2 to 1. So the image is literally twice as as long as it is tall, and that was the the format of the of the footage that was shot for a commercial movie. They wanted to make uh, uh, like a, a movie about Apollo Eleven, and I think that already in early stages they decided to abandon that project. So, uh, but the cameras were already there. And from what I've read, it's a lot of the NASA, the people from NASA, took those cameras and f- and started filming themselves. And not being professional uh, cinematographers, um, shot a lot of mundane stuff going on. So in the control rooms, but also the people that came to watch the launch of the Apollo 11. Um, and a lot of that footage was never used before because it didn't have much news value. It was just random images of, of random things happening around this journey to the moon. However, this, uh, this documentary took all those images, took all the audio recordings that were available, combined them together. Sometimes you see, because a lot of those cameras didn't even have audio while they were filming, but they took existing audio recordings and found the exact uh, audio that matches those those um, mo- the 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 the, fi- the video material that was shot, and so you for the first time you see people actually hear a lot of stuff that you know from from the audio recordings, the control chatter, etc. But we we had never seen the images, and they they match it together, and all of a sudden you are there, and it's really high resolution. Um, the the movie opens. With the, the the rocket, the Apollo Eleven being transported to the launch platform on these huge, um, uh, what is it? These tank wheels. These, these, and it's going very slowly. And it's and because it's, I saw it at the movies. It's so big and so majestic. And then you see the the people. Uh, 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 you see the, the the fashion of the time. You see people uh, with their funny sunglasses, the hair, the, uh, the even the drinks that they drink. It's all, all so filmed so well and so beautiful. And it's as if you are transported back in time and you are among those people. I have no other way to describe it. Um, so they really um, keep you in the moment. So the entire journey to the moon is is... As if you're sitting there, and and and, and uh, they take their time. Like the shots you see, are are they take literally every second that was saved uh, from those images. Like for instance, at one point you see uh, one of the uh, like the lower parts of the rocket. Once the the, the the altitude is high enough, they 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 are discarded, of course, and they fall back to the to Earth. Now I already already knew that there were cameras in the remaining part of the. Of the of the Apollo Eleven, but I'd only seen very small fragments, and th- this time you just continue to see this, like there is a camera on board of one of the rings that is uh, discarded, 
And it's for about a minute and a half. You just see the rest of the Apollo 11 continuing towards the moon. So it, it, and then you just see blackness of space. And then all of a sudden, slowly, slowly, Earth comes into view. And then the very last f frame is is literally the end of the tape you see the the um, there are the holes in the in the in the um, the tape in the material of the tape itself um and they even included that so you know that you've seen literally every second that was filmed and a lot of the times this documentary it's because it's it takes its time and it, there's a very very clever use of of information and 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 that is the the audio is uh, is put underneath the the images of of of, of um, every stage of the of the journey to to uh, the moon, and even the stuff on the moon. There was so much that I had never seen before, and certainly not at this quality. They've done a tremendous they've done a tremendous job with the um, restoration also of the images. Um, there's this other sh shot when when they go back, and you all you see is moon craters for two three minutes. You're flying over the moon. It's n the quality's not that good. It's kind of a bit blurry, a bit low resolution. Lots of grain, of course, because the the camera chips were not or the the camera sensors were not that good. And then I, I was like, oh, why do why do they show me this long shot? And, you know, now maybe time to switch to something else. And then I notice a little dot in the lower part of the screen, and the the dot goes slightly bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, you realize, what? Well, whoa, that's a return. That, that that's Armstrong and Aldrin returning. That's their that's the moon lander, the upper part of the moon lander, and it's gonna dock. And they they show you like minutes long the, until it docks. And it's that kind of immediacy that that uh, makes you feel that you're you're part you're, you're there. The other thing that is incredible and should definitely win them an Oscar and all the other awards that they can win is the soundscape, the sound um, editing that was done. It's not just using the original sound, but they create these sound environments. They kind of recreate the sound as if it was. Um, recorded with modern day equipment. That is the only part of the of the movie that is new, but it is doing so much good. It, it, it the, the sound I've always said audio is much more important than video quality. If the audio gives you a subconscious feeling of presence of quality, and so that's what they did is is recreating all the sounds that you would hear if you were in sitting inside the moon lander and um, the the sound of the roar of the engines when you have the lift off. It's uh, so incredibly impressive, and even the music is impressive. They used uh, a Moog synthesizer, so the all the music that you hear is kind of synthesizer, kind of more 80s type of, of uh, a little bit rem reminiscent of the synthesizer music that you would hear in, for instance, in Blade Runner. But the synthesizer that they used to create the soundtrack is a synthesizer that already existed in 1969. So even that is kind of a nerdy homage to the veracity of what we're witnessing. And the soundtrack uh, is not the kind of feel-good, you know, American fanfare, uh, fan, fan, how do you say that, fan, fanfare music or, or, or very romantic music. It's, a, it's a, almost like a, um, it's more like a pulsating music. But at various moments, the music itself um, supplies you with audio that normally couldn't be there because you're watching space. In space, no one can hear you scream. Um, but then the the, the synthesizer gives you that audio impact that, that the images need. Um, so again, it, it is an incredible uh, edit. Uh, I was constantly watching it as an editor myself. I was like, oh, I can't believe how smart this was done, how well, how, how clever this was edited. They use a lot of sp split screen as well. There is rhythmic editing. There is all sorts of stuff that I've learned 
in 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 Rome when I was studying television production and and um, and editing myself. But here, every single choice is the right choice. This is the perfect documentary. And if you're even remotely interested in uh, in um, uh, space fair in, in in that era, or if you just want to get a feel of what it was to live in the in 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 the sixties and witness this. I mean, I was too young to remember. I was uh, a, a, a year and three months old when uh, Neil Armstrong set foot on the on the moon. I, as I mentioned before, I saw it. I I, I actually my parents uh, woke me up and 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 had me watch it on TV. Um, just because of the historical nature of what was going on there on the moon, uh, 500 million people saw what was happening and witnessed that journey. It's unbelievable. It, it brought together the world in a way that I don't think we've ever seen uh, uh, after that. So, unbelievable. And, and you get so much respect for what was going on, and especially because there, were, there are so many... Um, recordings of 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 the of Houston of what was going on with with all these technicians and even the smaller things that go wrong and the deliberations they all show it to you. So at the end you're really like I cannot believe that they pulled it off. This is amazing. It makes you feel super proud, uh, despite the fact that I've had no part <laughs> no part in in this in the success of this. But it makes you just proud to be part of mankind that is able to do stuff like this. Unbelievably well done. Highly recommended. Before we continue with The Peculiar Bunch, I just want to briefly give you my final assessment of Season 2 of Stranger Things. I just finished watching in time because Season 3 is coming, uh, I think, on Thursday, this Thursday. I'm going to binge watch it this time. Uh, season 2 was, a, was fantastic. The acting is out of this world. These kids all deserve Oscars and, uh, and, 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 and other awards. Um... It's a great story of, of uh, also a coming of age story. The, the the child actors are are growing older. They have their love interest, and all that is is woven into this horror story. And it's such a great balance. Um, can't wait to see what they do in season three. And season two for me was absolutely rewatching my own childhood. I grew up in the eighties. I was the age of the children that you see. In Stranger Things, that was my youth, and and season two did that even more than season one to me. It's like oh, I so remember the hair, the bikes, the music, the even the 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 bullies in school, the hair. That's oh, just like 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 my own youth, um, without of course the cool you know horror monsters and the upside down. Fortunately, I I did not have that, but. All the rest was was totally like um, like I experienced it myself. Let's visit the peculiar bunch. <laughs> Catholics rock. Here at the peculiar bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics and their traditions, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. Meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? So today I want to talk uh, briefly about a discussion that I had yesterday while building Bilbo Baggins' house. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. Now, some, some people may ridicule me before uh, doing these uh, Lego streams where I just sit at my desk and I build uh, spaceships. Or this week I'm building a bag end. I'm trying to reconstruct a, a Lego set that is uh, uh, Im- impossible to afford for me, impossibly, because it's very rare and very expensive. But I'm kind of making my own version of, uh, of bag end. And while I'm building uh, these Lego sets, I'm chatting with the people in the chat room. And uh, we chat about everything, but also about faith. And I often get questions that go way beyond any question that I've ever answered here on the podcast. And I've been doing this for, for, what is it, 12, 13 years now. But ever since I've been on YouTube, the conversation goes really to the next level. So yesterday, 
I got a super interesting question from someone who said, you know, I'm, I'm starting to doubt about the stories that I read in the Bible as a child. And I, I'm, I'm starting to wonder, is it real? Is it true? Or is it all made up? What is the historical truth of the Bible? And that is such an important question. And I think because that question often gets the wrong answer, I think, uh, a lot of people unnecessarily kind of discard the Bible as just being this unscientific fairy tale collection of stories that they just don't consider to be relevant anymore. And so I had this this conversation where I explained how Catholics look at the Bible. And you may think, and and with reason, that all Christians read the Bible in the same way. But the reality is that that is absolutely not the case. Um, a lot of the, the, let's say, the criticism of, of people that are atheist or agnostic or non-Christian on Christians is that uh, they believe what's written in the Bible literally. So... Um, they just assume that that Christians are uh, very naive people that be- that believe that this 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 fairy tale book of myths and legends is all it all happened the way it was written down because it's the word of God and so it has to be true it has to be factually true. Um, and then of course you get into these impossible conundrums like how can you, on the one hand, uphold scientific discoveries uh, like uh, the, the, um, uh, the, 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 the age of our universe, how the universe uh, emerged, how our planet was formed, um, even the, the age of, of life on Earth. It, it, uh, science has, and archaeology has taught us so much, astronomy has, has, has given us so much information about the way the universe works and how it came about. If how can you then believe that God made the Earth in seven days, and didn't mention there's no mention of dinosaurs, so the dinosaurs must not be true. Um, so it creates this this dichotomy between science and faith, and that is why a literal interpretation of the Bible is something that a Catholic would never do. The the and what I try to explain is. The Bible is not a historical account. It's not an eyewitness account. It doesn't pretend to be a replacement of scientific research. The Bible is a book of books, literally. It's a collection of books that were written down over the course of many, many centuries, written by various people from different cultures based on oral traditions that date back way before the time of the the written stories. And so the oldest stories that we know in the Bible were told from generation to generation, verbally, orally, and only at one point in time they were written down in a certain culture. And what happens if you tell a story is you add interpretation. If I tell a fairy tale, I may add little details. I may kind of insert my own uh, imagination, and 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 I w- uh, I may add layers of, of meaning as well. Uh, that is why, for instance, take Disney, the way they do their uh, uh, live action versions of a movie like Aladdin or Cinderella or now uh, The Lion King. A lot of people criticize Disney for doing this thing. Well. But Disney is changing the original story and the original message. I, I kind of ranted about uh, certain aspects of Aladdin where I felt that, that Aladdin was kind of a secondary character now in this story because everything was focused on this girl that wanted to be the next uh, uh, leader and, and it became um, kind of a very pro-woman power type of story. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not faithful to the original intent of, of Aladdin. But... It is an example of how retelling a story can add layers of interpretation that were not may not even have been there in the original intent of the the, the person that, that came up with the story. So these layers of interpretation are also part of many biblical accounts. Even in the newer stories, like the New Testament, you have different versions of the same events. 
and the the various uh, ev evangelists tell those stories sometimes with a different perspective. They also tell it for a different audience, and so they may emphasize certain things. Does it invalidate the story? Does it make it unreliable? No, there is still, and that that sets the Bible apart from fairy tales. Um, in most cases, there is an historical basis for the stories. There are, and these are verifiable beyond the context of the Bible itself. We, we have uh, Roman historians writing about Jesus, writing about those first disciples. And so a lot of the things that, that we read about in the Bible are ver verifiable. We found cities that were described in the Old Testament, places that were described. But it is on the basis of those historical accounts that generations later, people continuously looked at those events with the, from the perspective of faith. What does God want to show us in these, event, in these events? What is his message? What is his will in all this? And then in the way stories are told, sometimes these stories are condensed. And you see this a lot in the Old Testament, especially in those more historical accounts, where sometimes they describe a war and any historian could tell you that does not compute. This is this is a the 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 king that is brought into the story here did not live at the same time as this or that ruler or this this war that was going on is in a totally different era and even in a different place from the events that are in the story happening at the same time. But why were they brought together to emphasize and to amplify? The, the message of faith that these stories wanted to convey to the listener. And it, 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 the, the, for me, the best analogy to understand this is music. You can't play music as pure and simple, the notes that, let's say, Mozart put down on paper. We have those original uh, um, uh, partitures of, of Mozart. If you would feed them to, into a computer, the computer would play all the notes but it wouldn't sound like music. It would sound completely artificial and dead. So what happens is you have an orchestra, and the orchestra consists of many talented uh, individual musicians. And they will add their emotion, their skill, their interpretation to the notes on the paper. And then you have the director. The director has studied uh, uh, how was the music performed in the time of Mozart? How can we make it even better? How can uh, every director will make his or her own version of that of those same notes? Do if that happens, do I stand up and yell at the director? Hey, you're, that's not the way it's supposed to be played. That's not in the original score. No, it's like wow, I can't believe what he did with the with that music. And so these added layers of interpretation enhance and enrich the original story, the original music. Or, if you want another analogy, look at cooking. You have a recipe. And if you're a cook, you can do the recipe as is. Or you can take the recipe and build upon that and make it even more flavorful. And that doesn't really hurt the dish, right? And with the Bible, it's the same thing. Every story in the Bible is... Uh, has different layers. You can read it also on different levels. Uh, so, for instance, the story of Genesis is a very ancient story. It is not supposed to be an accurate historical scientific description of the way the earth came about. That story is much younger, of course, than, than our planet and than, than life, let alone human life. So the story itself is uh, written to express a truth that goes beyond factual truth. It doesn't even want to try to, to relay the facts. The writers weren't there when the earth was made. But the, the story of Genesis wants to uh, convey a very important truth of creation in general, and that is we are not here by accident. This planet is not just a piece of rock lost in, in the universe among trillions of stars. Uh, this, the fact that we are here is because there is a God who created us, who 
um, gave us a soul who wanted us, who has a plan with this. And the difference between uh, the point of view of faith, because that's what it is, is looking at the world as it is and its origin with the eyes of faith, what is the meaning of all this, is different from the eyes of a scientist or an astronomer. A sci- an astronomer will be able to explain you more or less how things came about, uh, why uh, this followed that. Um, how it, it will explain how things are a part of this, this system of laws and, and physics and, and biochemistry, etc., etc. But what science cannot answer is the question, where to was all this? Uh, is, is all this? Why? Uh, what is the meaning of this? And that is where philosophers and poets and uh, storytellers and theologians and people of the cloth and priests will, will speak because they will point you, well, when science describes you what is and how it is and why things come about, here is, here is the reason behind all that. This, what is the purpose? It's not coincidence. You have a mission and God has a plan with you, with the planet, and so nothing exists by accident. That is kind of the, 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 the conversation that I had while building Lego. And then so, towards the end of the, of the conversation, someone said, well, but why are you just not content with stuff not having a meaning, not having a purpose? Uh, if I die, you know, what gives if, if there is no afterlife, if there is no heaven? Uh, I will just return to the dust that I was taken from and my energy will flow back into the energy of the universe. And I said, well, maybe you don't really need a, a, a reason or, or meaning from f- f- to, to, to live an acceptable life. But I need a reason. I want meaning. I want justice. I want to know that if... Uh, a child dies in a faraway country because of famine or hunger or, or cruelty and, and war, that that child is still somewhere and, and lives and is, um, is saved and, and now has a chance to live forever in God's love instead of you know, this, this meaningless life. I want my life to have a purpose. And I want it to go beyond just a bunch of audio recordings and videos that will be long forgotten even before I die. But I want it, what my, makes my life meaningful is that I'm loved, and not just by humans, but I'm loved by God, who will love me forever. That is what gives my life a purpose in a sense, and also motivates me to make something out of this life, because, because it matters what I do. It matters for me. It matters for God's plan with the, the people around me. So anyway, I just I, I thought the, the, the discussion was so important and so valuable that I thought, well, uh, instead of just keeping it to the small group of YouTubers, I'll relay it in the next episode of my show. Hopefully it helps you. Um, and uh, th- there are so many other things to learn about... Um, the Bible and and how Catholics regard the Bible. It's it, but but don't discard it too quickly as oh it's all fairy tales it's all nonsense. Um, it's not. These are very very important stories that talk about fundamental tr- truths and truth is something that goes beyond facts and science. That's all I'm going to say about it. Let's go and play some video games. Yes, normally at this time I would talk about books that I've read, but despite my um, enthusiastic uh, efforts last week to uh, come up with ways to read more, I did not read a single page this week, this past week. Um, Instead, I did play two video games that I want to briefly mention. One is kind of a throwaway uh, video game that I started playing this morning. It's nothing special, but I still like it a lot. Remember Tiny Tower? 
Tiny Tower was from the golden era of um, free-to-play games on your mobile phone. Tiny Tower, um, I think it was by Nimblebit or something like that. Uh, they had a, a couple of. There was all. They also had a game where you had to uh, land aircraft and and manage uh, uh, airports. Uh, and 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 I loved the style of those games. They were all using the kind of those pixel graphics, and so. Tiny Tower was a fun game where you had to build apartments or actually build a, a big skyscraper and you could build several types of floors, a floor that would house uh, your employees um, and then you would have uh, restaurants and uh, creative stores and garages and, and, and uh, all sorts of different um, uh, businesses. And then the more businesses you you make, you produce, the, the more uh, people you need to work there. And then people would have their favorite jobs and you could move them from one job to another. Um, and, and the kind of the mechanics were super, super simple. You build a floor um, and then people want to go to that floor. And you are kind of the lift boy or girl. You have to make sure the elevator gets to the floor where they need to be, and then you get a small reward. And over time, you learn how to make more money, and you can grow your tower bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and it just goes on forever and ever. Well, that, that game, I played it for about a year, and then I was kind of burned out on it. But it, it is now back in Lego form, and I love it. It's called Lego Tower, and it's brand new. You can get it on Android and on iOS. And it's the same, exactly the same game. Even has the same elevator music. But this time it's not done in pixel graphics, but in pixel art, but it's done with Lego minifigures. And you can collect all sorts of rare parts and wigs and, and all, the, all the minifigures are there. Of course, there's also a lot of stuff that you can buy, but even without buying anything in the online store, it's still a lot of fun to create these Lego floors. And I've, I've counted this, the studs and everything, and I was like, ooh, that is 30 long and 12 deep. And everything you see, every floor that you see, like the restaurants, you could build that with real Lego. And so I'm super stoked to to look at, oh, wow, that's so clever. That is so creative how they did this little floor. And now I want to make some of those floor myself with myself with real Lego. So it's, it's a fun little game. Very fun and definitely geared towards kids. But hey, I've never grown up anyway. The second game I want to briefly review is a much bigger scale game, very ambitious, and it's based on the same mechanics as Niantic's other games, um, like uh, what's the the Pokemon Go was the big breakthrough game of Niantic, and they made millions and millions of dollars, and it's still very popular today. Um, before that, there was another game based on the same Google Maps data, where you had to go and uh, create or get energy sources. It was a very complicated game, very abstract. I did play that for a while. Then I moved to Pokemon Go, got burned out on that. And the, the thing, the problem with Pokemon Go was um, there were people that had much more time to play that game than I had. So it's fun collecting these Pokemons these monsters, but then you had to go to gyms and fight other monsters. And all the gyms here in the entire city are occupied by very high-level monsters, and there's no way you can ever win a fight like that. And so I gave up. I was like, there's no fun. I can never win. Now Niantic has launched a new version of the game because it's really based on the same engine, but this time it is the Harry Potter universe. It tells the story of a wizard who lost his loved one, I think his wife, and then as a... And we don't know exactly what's going on yet. There's, there's kind of the underlying story is that he cast a huge spell um, that made all sorts of magical objects, so objects from the magical world, appear in our real world, even to the point that muggles could see them. And that, of course, is a grave danger for the wizarding world. Because if muggles become aware of the fact that there are wizards among them, well, you get the whole X-Men uh, problem. You know, they want to prevent this from happening. So the, the wizards have always tried to hide their existence and hide these magical objects from the muggles. 
because the muggles wouldn't understand. And so you've got these cleanup crews, even in the movies, you, you see them at work where they try to, you know, uh, obfuscate the, 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 the proofs of, of the magical reality that is mixed with our real reality. And so in this game, you have to go and kind of literally pick up the trash, the magical trash that this wizard has left behind. And you have to send all these objects back to the wizarding world. So it's a lot of collecting of objects. Now, the fun part is that it is all underscored by, literally underscored by the, 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 the wonderful John Williams uh, Harry Potter score. So that you're walking around and you see uh, inns where you can eat. You have greenhouses where you can grow your plants that you need to make the potions. The potions will make you stronger to do the magical uh, spells. And so in order to send stuff back to the magical world, you have to cast a spell. And the way you do that is by tracing a spell on your phone. So you'll see a certain figure and then you have to use your finger and, and do it as fast and as accurate accurately as possible. And if your spell is successful, then you get some points. The thing that, that I like about this version of the game is that where normally you would have the Pokemon gyms, which would be impossible to fight at because of the super high-level occupants. Um, in in the Wizards Unite, that's the name of this game, in Wizards Unite, it, uh, these are, are magical castles, fortresses. And you can enter and fight, but you don't have to fight other players. You just fight and you try to level up and fight more and more powerful uh, monsters and uh, the only way you can beat the low, the higher level monsters is by leveling up yourself so there's a whole uh, skill tree that you have to uh, develop by you know uh, gaining XP and, and uh, um, uh, being more successful in general so there are a lot of, lots and lots of little game mechanics um, that make it fun to just wander around collect stuff and level up your wizard or your... I'm a professor, so I'm kind of a like a male version of McGonagall or Snape or whatever. Um, but you can also be an RR. You can have, I think there are two other professions that you can have, and each have their own skill tree. Um, the Kind of the, the weaker points of this game are that you always encounter the same type of object, so there's not much variety um, so far. And the objects that you pick up are not very useful. With the, the what makes Pokemon Go so fun is that you can get you can combine these little critters that you gather, and you can grow them and make them make them stronger. And over time, they will evolve in another like a higher level level version of the Pokemon monster that you've gathered. And uh, so there's a lot of um, evolution that makes it fun to keep playing. Whereas with Harry Potter, I've been playing it for. a a couple of days now, I'm level 10. After a while, it's like, oh, it's again the same kind of animation. Plus, it's kind of slow. They d d the animations are great, but after a couple of days, they, they get old. They get stale. It's like, okay, move on. And I start tapping the screen like, ah, cancel, cancel. Just, I know, I know the thing goes back to the wizarding world. I don't need to see that 10-second animation time and time again. What I think is that over time, they will probably uh, improve the game, add more... Uh, more challenges, um, possibly also more advanced game mechanics. But the game as is, is a lot of fun. It's free. And um, and, and definitely what makes it worthwhile to me is it, it gives me a reason to go out and walk. And I can walk around in my own neighborhood with a Harry Potter soundtrack playing in the background. Making me feel a little bit like a wizard. <laughs> Who doesn't want that? All right, let's go to the movies. No, no, let's go to the world, I should say, of science fiction. I think this is science fiction, the science fiction jingle. We need to talk a little bit uh, more about Star Wars, and I need to rectify something that I said last week, which, from a certain point of view, from a certain perspective, was still kind of almost accurate, but not really. So I, I need to talk about what that is, and then... Um, yeah, there's also some great Star Trek news as well that I'm excited about. I see aliens. Little aliens from outer space. And how are things in outer Plutonia? How many times have I told you not to wear your space boots in the house? 
Go to Shape I'm and you can donate my body to science fiction. Get your suit on! We need ya! All right, well, let's start with the... Um, the the Star Trek news because that's just a little bit a tiny bit of news. Now we we know that uh, in addition to the third season of the Star Trek Discovery, um, the folks over at uh, CBS uh, are also working on a series based on Captain Picard's character. Um, and uh, Patrick Stewart, of course, is reprising his role as a much older, uh, um, well, Picard. We don't know if he's a captain yet. And um, they told us it's going to be different, very different from Discovery. It's something that we've never done before. And it made some of our, uh, some of us Star Trek fans a bit queasy, like, oh, I'm not sure what are they going to do? Is this going to be good at all? Well, I was very, assure, uh, very uh, comforted by uh, the news that broke that uh, the showrunner for Star Trek Picard has been um, chosen, and it is Michael Shaban. I hope I, um, I pronounced that uh, correctly. He is um, a Pulitzer Prize-winning author uh, of uh, a number of novels, uh, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, Moonglow, Wonder Boys. Uh, he also wrote uh, one of the Short Tracks episodes, uh, Calypso. Uh, which was one of my favorite episodes of uh, of the Discovery Short Tracks, um, and he is uh, he has a very very good reputation. Um, he's he was already part of the creative team, um, but now he's he's uh, put at the uh, really at the helm of this new series. He says in in a, in a quote. On his uh, appointment, Star Trek has been an important part of my way of thinking about the world, the future, human nature, storytelling, and myself since I was 10 years old. I come to work every day in a state of joy and awe at having been entrusted with the character and the world of Jean-Luc Picard, with his vibrant strand of the rich, intricate, and complex tapestry that is Star Trek. That all sounds good to me. As someone who really values what Star Trek stands for... And, and that is what this, series, what this franchise needs and what it lacked terribly in the last few movies that came out, the theatrical movies that were just such a disservice to the character of Picard and to the legacy of the, of the, of the next generation. So hopefully this is, this is a good sign that um, in addition to Discovery, Picard will be another way to revitalize the Star Trek uh, fan base and the franchise. Let's talk Star Trek, Star Wars now. Um, so last week I said that um, uh, there were rumors of uh, Ewan McGregor returning as Obi Wan Kenobi in a possible TV spinoff for uh, Disney Plus. And I said, isn't it ironic that Ewan McGregor now is almost the same age as Alec Guinness had when he filmed A New Hope? And I, I thought I'd read that somewhere. And at the same time, I was like, wow, that is almost impossible. That sounds so unlikely because Alec Guinness looks like 70 in A New Hope. But I knew that he was actually much younger than he looked and that he was very annoyed that everybody on the set treated him as if he was 70 or 80 years old. While in, in reality, he wasn't even uh, uh, retired yet. Um, and I, I, of course, uh, even McGregor still looks very young, so how are they going to do that? It, it, we're still 20 years later now. The prequels are a long time ago in the galaxy far, far away. So I kind of said that, well, it's all kind of they're almost the same age now. Um, so that would be a great way to bridge the gap between episode three uh, and episode four. Well, Dom Bettinelli, my former uh, uh, fellow co-host of uh, The Secrets of Star Wars, corrected me. Is that I had to check, but no. Uh, <laughs> Ian McGregor is uh, 47 or 48. He's from 90... He's 48 years old, whereas Alec Guinness was 63 when filming A New Hope. But then I thought about it some more, and I was like, well... But in fact, if you look at the age... The canonical age of Obi-Wan Kenobi in A New Hope is not 63. And everybody, I always 
thought as a child also that Obi-Wan Kenobi was super old because he had this gray, this white beard. So yeah, it was uh, like an, an old man. 63 is not old. You can still look very young at that age. But in fact, Obi-Wan Kenobi, when he died, was only 57 years old. So, um, Alec Guinness was playing a character that was actually supposed to be six years younger than he was as an actor. And then if you look at that age, 57, and Ian McGregor approaching his 50s, mm, it's getting close. They could do something fun with that. And, 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 and so Ian McGregor actually has the perfect age to play this transitional Obi-Wan Kenobi because he's not yet 57, but he's only it's, it's nine years away from that. So he can make a very credible transition from the prequels to A New Hope. So if that's going to happen, I don't know. But I personally think that Disney would be stupid not to do that because everybody would watch it. And and Ian McGregor is a great actor, both for movies and for TV. And I think he is more than willing to reprise his role as Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I think there are a lot of stories untold. And it would be a surefire hit, even more than The Mandalorian. I mean, it's cool to see someone who looks like Boba Fett. But still, I think that um, an, an Obi-Wan Kenobi series is, is a... You can't miss with that. Absolutely not. And so... Hoping to see that. And it would also help us to, to mourn now that we know that with the, last, uh, with the rise of Skywalker, th- that's the last story in the Skywalker saga. It would still give us something to hold on to because we don't know what's coming next in, in, in movie theaters. We may go back in time. It may be something very different. But we need Star Wars fans need this kind of this hook into what they know and love. And uh, The Mandalorian, for me, I, I'm, I'm sure that it's going to be great, but it misses the, the iconic characters. Solo, unfortunately, didn't do as well at the movies to warrant a second sequel in, in, in the movie theater, so we lost that too. What else is left? Comics. Not everyone reads comic books. And Kenobi. Kenobi is the glue that keeps the universe, the Star Wars universe, together. With the help of we the Force. We are on the cutting of edge course. of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing just going to very briefly do a tech segment and then we're going to wrap up this show. Um, Just something that kind of shocked everyone who is uh, interested in the world of Apple and that was the news that Johnny Ive Johnny Ives is leaving Apple to make his own, to start his own company his own design firm and the primary uh, client is still going to be Apple but still Johnny Ives leaving Apple Apple is Johnny Ives even more than it is Tim Cook the, every device that um, that Apple sold was designed. Even software was was uh, designed by by Johnny Ives, and and so everybody's speculating what's going on. Why is he leaving? Um, and it got to the point that Tim Cook had to make a statement that a lot of the rumors in the press were not correct. That there was not a fallout between him and, and Johnny Ives. And uh, everything is uh, fine. Uh, move along. Nothing to see here. Move along. And of course, the more he emphasizes that, the more I'm thinking, huh, you bet there is something going on there. And you bet that there has been a fallout. Otherwise, why? Johnny Ives doesn't need uh, to to start his own company to make money. He's probably one of the richest designers in the world anyway. So there must be a creative reason for this. And uh, and then, of course, people are worried. Like, where is Apple heading? And I have to say, um, I do have some concerns as well. I think, of course, that there are lots of other designers uh, working at Apple that can do a great job. And, and you know, nowadays, a lot of the, te- the the modern technology, it all looks the same anyway. A lot of the Android phones look just as pretty, if not prettier, than the recent iPhones. The, 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 there is a little bit of, a little bit of uh, concern about the 
the next, uh, the Apple, uh, what is it, the iPhone 11 that is uh, coming out later this year because it's got a very ugly um, a camera notch at the back of the, uh, not a notch, but a camera module that is square and it's really awful. Um, and apparently that, that, that design first was going to uh, uh, be necessary for very sophisticated camera uh, technology that they decided to skip at the very last moment because it wasn't ready yet. And so now the design is still features that very awful squarish camera blob at the back of the phone. Uh, and even if they color it in the same color as the, the overall phone, it still looks weird and, and not elegant at all. Definitely not something that Johnny Ives would, uh, would, uh, would like. And uh, the fans are quite upset, especially because they get nothing for it. It's probably just going to be a wide-angle camera and a telecamera and a regular camera, just like any other phone right now at the moment. Plus, Apple apparently is still going to hold on to the huge notch on the main screen, which is wider than any notch on any phone in 2019. So it's kind of this, this hmm, where is Apple going? Are they still at the top of their game or are these iterations and that we keep saying this time after after time every year it's kind of the same lament from from apple fans not all of them of course you also have the apple apologists who will defend anything that apple does but um i'm thinking is it enough is it enough for apple to be following the trends and design wise to be behind can they actually stay behind there's so much good value for money stuff out there nowadays. And I know that Apple has announced that they are going to move their business model away from the hardware to the services. Is that enough? I was just looking uh, before I started the show. I was like, wait a minute. Wasn't Apple News now, wasn't that also available on my Mac? And I, I found the app. I launched the app. And then I get the, the, the message like, there is no news for you because you live in the wrong part of the world. Sorry. And I was like, what? Come on. News is global. Give me something. And then I, 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 I try to uh, change. Because the thing is, on my iPad, I do have Apple News. And I downloaded it from the American Apple Store. Because I've got an American account there too. And it works flawlessly. And I have the news from American sources. And it's great. On the Mac, can't do it. Because you live in Europe. You live in the Netherlands. We don't care for the Netherlands. We only have, if you lived in the UK, we would give you some news. Not the American news would give. And I was like, Apple, come on. I'm a faithful, loyal Apple client, uh, customer. Just, why? And Apple Music, not interested. I have Spotify. I even um, stopped paying for Google, for what is it? Uh, was it Google Play? Google Play Music. I just listen to to the free Spotify. I don't, I don't mind the advertisements, and and that's enough. And but, but Apple Music, eh? Apple TV, where the Apple TV Plus, complete radio silence. There's nothing. Um, so where is this heading? And 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 I feel like Apple needs to do something. And and then then Tim added something to his uh, press release or his his public comment on the rumors, and he said. Um, you will be blown away by, by what we're working on uh, right now. And I think you cannot say that without paying it off this year. You'd better show us something like a one more thing instead of just showing us these slightly upgraded iPhones 11s, iPhone 11s. Uh, if not, someone else is going to run with it. You know, They're going to lose customers. They've already lost me for the phone, which I'm very sad to say, but I've ordered the Asus or the Asus uh, uh, Zenfone 6. Unfortunately, it's not available, and I have to wait two months to get it, but it is half the price of an Apple iPhone, and it has so much power and amazing cameras. Yeah, I kind of I feel sad, and, and for, the, for the iPad... I was a very happy camper. I'm, I love my iPad, but um, the next iteration of the iPad OS does not run anymore on the on the iPad Air. And now I'm wondering: Am I going to switch? Am I going to buy another iPad? I, 
I mean, the, I love the iPad Pro, the bigger one, because I my eyes are getting worse. I'm getting older, so I like bigger screens. But then I'm like, well, for the same price, or almost the same price, I can buy a Dell, uh, what is it, uh, two-in-one, which is a full-fledged, super-powerful laptop, and I can turn the screen in such a way that I can use it as a massive uh, um, tablet. A little bit heavier than, a, than an iPad Pro, but still a lot of value for money for almost the same price. I don't know. Where is Apple heading? I'm not the one to tell you because I don't know. Anyway, that was it for uh, today's show. Hope you enjoyed it. And, of course, if you are a patron, make sure to listen to the after show. That is your exclusive personal Father Roderick podcast that you get every week as a thank you for being a patron. Patreon.com slash Father Roderick. And, of course, I appreciate your feedback and your retweets and reposts and whatnot. Take care. God bless. God bless.